Hello and welcome to Numbers on the Boards. Brought to you by Fanboys, the official toy store of the Dallas Mavericks. Part of Studio 41 Radio on 97.1 The Freak, the Mavs YouTube channel, Spotify, iTunes, etc. I'm Bobby Corella, and I hope you, wherever you are, however you may be listening, are having just an excellent weekend. I hope you're ready to get down. I hope you're ready to party. Heck, I hope you're even ready to get freaky. Joining me today, one of the biggest freaks I know, and usually in a good way, the great Jeff Skin. Wade Skin, what's up? Homie, how we doing this morning? Oh, I'm fantastic. Dirk looks great behind you if you're watching on YouTube. And of course, Skin, uh, now you're you're of podcast fame after going on with Tim McMahon the other day. Uh, the whole world has gotten a, a glimpse of Dirk in that beautiful Rollertown shirt. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So we have Dirk wearing a Rollertown shirt. And I'm sorry, Dirk. All I had in my closet was an XL, so I had to force that on his flat body in this scenario. <laughs> you know, if they're not watching the video, boy, that sounds really weird to people. Yeah, well, but, uh, it, Dirk really is in Skins, uh, what is that, your man cave, your den, your office? This is, this is, so, this is the, that's the backside of my studio, basically. Mm. So uh, this is uh, what you can't see is all this music chaos over here. And I'm very messy, which you can kind of see that over. I guess that's my right shoulder. Uh, there's some old like uh, whiskey bottles. And, uh, you know, some of those are, uh, you know, stout bottles that are limited edition. Then you kind of, let's see, I'm doing this over my shoulder. You kind of barely see an old picture of my daughter right there. She's peeking over the corner. And then that's a 25th hour poster. That's one of my favorite, one of my favorite movies. Definitely one of the best Spike Lee movies. And then there's a bunch of books I never read. Nice. Well, coming up in the nice. next segment, I think you're going to give us a tour and uh, yeah. a, a detailed breakdown. Um, but skin first, we got to talk some basketball. Uh, the, uh -huh. the Mavs did allegedly play a basketball game last night uh, on Thursday night against the Boston Celtics. It was a lopsided affair. There's no other way to put it. Uh, before that came seven glorious wins, many of them uh, at or near the final buzzer. So it's been a it's been a pretty thrilling, exhilarating couple weeks here of, of Mavs basketball, and we haven't spoken in a while. And so, uh, do you want to do the thing where we like bitch and moan for 20 seconds about the the Celtics game before we get to the good stuff? Yeah, I think that's cool. All I right, think take it away. Uh, why don't you start the bitching? Okay. Okay. Uh, Defensive rotations implies that you are supposed to like rotate and move around the court. It means that like you're you like it's not rotating like a fan where you just spin in a circle. You actually like have to move in order to rotate. That's that's my that's my complaint of the day. Yeah, that's interesting. Just even saying those two words together, defensive rotations, would be some sort of uh, implication that that was attempted last night. I thought they were going with the unique thing of. This is what uh, this is when I for sure quit playing basketball <laughs> is when my man would get the ball and I realized I was like 10 feet away from him and I'd go shoot it. You know, it's like uh, you just kind of like bark at someone uh, to, and that's your defense. It was horrible. Or just they, are they you look, are you a yell guy? Just ah, ah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Depending on who you're closing out. If they're Frady Cat, you definitely go Moses Scurry and yell. Do you but think that they, works uh, on Marcus Smart or do you think he's like immune to that? Uh, Marcus Smart's a tough SOB. He's not hearing anything coming out of anybody's mouth if, if he's got the ball. But uh, that was there, there was really nothing in last night's game that felt good except the Hardy party. Like, that was kind of fun. Um, 
got it. So like yesterday, uh, my my radio life were, went late into the day, and and so I didn't get out of meetings until five thirty. And then at that point, I was having a headache working. And it, now that I'm up this morning, I realize it's just an allergy headache from yesterday. But I was kind of worried for a minute. I was like, man, I'm sort of run down. Am I getting sick? So I decided not to go to the game. And uh, boy, I'm glad I didn't go to that one. Like it, that was a national broadcast. There's like three or four of those a year, sometimes as many as five or six, where if it's an ABC game, we definitely don't broadcast it. If it's a TNT game, they usually have three or four that they can do by themselves. So uh, me and Followell and Harp weren't weren't broadcasting last night. So in those situations, I almost always go to the game just because it's fun to be a fan. Like I love being a fan. And, uh, And a lot of people would argue I'm just a Homer fan on the broadcast anyways, but uh, I don't have to wear a suit. I'll put it to you that way. So I love going to the games and drinking big Germans and, and yelling. That's like one of my favorite things to do. If I'm going to not go to one, I picked a really good one to miss because that was uh, that was very uh, there was nothing aesthetically pleasing about last night. And I think the primary reason is, you know, the thing that, you know, you're going to get out of a Maverick game is Luca magic and Luca put, you know, he put up some interesting numbers and, and you know, but just watching him, you could tell he was laboring. He was having ankle issues. I don't know what was going on with that cough. I didn't see any post-game commentary. Maybe you can fill me in on that, but I think he had some uh, Carolina Reapers right before tip off. It was, that's a bad choice. That's a bad choice. He was just struggling. Yeah, it was horrible on his part, but no, there's a, that's one of those games where you go, all right. And, and the thing that I think that really sucks about it is it was circled because of the schedule leading up to it. Like I, I circled it when they beat Minnesota in the second game. I was like, okay, I'm looking at the schedule, man, you need to go win five more of these games before the Boston game. Cause that's going to be a real test. Well, hell they ended up winning six more after that Minnesota game. It was super impressive. And we can talk strength schedule and all that. That's a different conversation, but you've got to win games. And so they did all that. And so to have that apex finally get two days off, and then just roll out that it's very disheartening. It's so, uh, so there's a lot of reasons for people to be frustrated as they woke up this morning. Yeah. I mean, the, the best way that I can put it is there's a really, really big difference between the Celtics and the Rockets, you know, and that's no shots at those players or Steven Silas or anything, but the Celtics, hold on. I want to ask you, I want to ask you, Bobby, I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, I thought for a quarter and a half, the Celtics didn't play at least they weren't making shots. And then they started making shots, and then it got ugly. But early in that game, the Celtics didn't look great, and they were coming off of that super embarrassing loss to Oklahoma City the other night where they gave up one fitty. So it's not like Boston's kicking ass right now. I mean, they're they're in it. I think they were were they seven? Were they uh, had had lost? I think like five and seven in their last twelve yeah, heading into that's last. That's what night. it was. Yeah. Yep. And I thought Tatum in particular, you know, he ended up with a triple double, but I thought he started slow, and then Jalen Brown, of course, is in foul trouble. But then yeah. it's like becomes the Grant Williams and the Sam Hauser show. And it's like, oh, my God. I mean, at one point, the Celtics bench had more points than the Mavs team. You know, yeah. Brogdon came in and, and did good things, too. But the Celtics, you know, they have probably the best spacing uh, in basketball. You know, Steph Curry creates space just by, like, breathing. But yeah. as a team, like a five-man group, the Celtics spread you out better than probably any team in the league. And honestly, yeah. like, I'm not just trying to gas them up, but – maybe like the best and most effective floor spacing of all time because they always have at least four guys on the floor 
that can pass, dribble, and shoot. You know, yeah, that is very, very hard to contend with, especially if you're rotating slow or you have weaknesses on defense or whatever. But they take 42 threes per game, second most in the NBA. They hit 37% of them, which is a top 10 mark. Earlier this year, they had seven guys, seven different players shooting above 40%. So all that is to say is you've got to be like, you got to mind your P's and Q's, right, against them because any yes. little mistake, any blown rotation, any time where a guy cuts across your face, any time you get broken down, you know, you are going to be getting put into the torture chamber. Uh, I mean, yeah. how many times last night? First of all, there were too many easy shots, I thought. But how many times in that game was it like guy gets blown by and then it's pass kick, open three? But how many more times was it like drive, kick out, penetrate again, guy respaces, kick it out to that guy, attack again? Like you're getting two, three, four dribble penetrations on the same possession. And that is always inevitably going to lead to either a dunk or an open three. And they just... They punish all your imperfections, man. It, it is really, really impressive to watch them play. So to me, yeah, I agree with everything you're saying. And, and it's a little bit like maybe the, you know, 2016 era Warriors in regards to the spacing. And so that, in my opinion, that begins with you have to have two major things. Number one, you have to have highly skilled bigs uh, that can pass in space. So like even if we're referencing those old Warriors, a lot of times Draymond Green was the big, especially when they went to the, you know, the lineup of death and that sort of stuff. Uh, you can make an argument that Al Horford is the most underrated NBA player of the last 15 he's years. He's unbelievable, dude. He's he's unbelievable. And the his he's an incredible passer. He's a very polished post-up player when they do want to team start going small, he, you know, dude, he's going to drop step and be one foot from the basket. He's going to hold people off and he's going to make a layup. Uh, he's obviously become a really, really good three-point shooter. And then defensively, he's a very smart defensive player, an, an anchor. So there's that. And then if they want to, they can play him and Robert Williams together if they want to play a different style of basketball. Obviously, they did that in the playoffs last year. And uh, this is one of the things I've tried to point out many times when people talk about skill ball or small ball. It's like, yes, that's badass. That can't be the only thing you do. If you look at the Warriors, they always had a big that if they needed to go body you, they could body you too. So the Celtics can do that. The second thing you need is, uh, I'm not saying it's Steph and Clay, but you need to have at least two badasses that can shoot, pass, and floor it. And I thought it was a con – now look, we're not in people's locker rooms, okay? So sometimes there's things where just two players don't get along and they won't get along. We saw it here in Dallas in the 90s with Jamal Mashburn and Jimmy Jackson. Those guys weren't going to get along. We didn't have the culture in our team to make them get along. And they were young and on their own and thought they were the two biggest badasses in the world. They didn't get along. That was going to blow up. I thought it was hilarious that there was conversation two years ago that the Celtics couldn't have Tatum and Brown together. And that conversation was happening a year after they went to the Eastern Conference Finals as babies. And so there's all this conversation. I'm like, man, there's got to be something in the locker room I don't know because I don't see what it is that would in any way fuel this conversation. That's what you're trying to do is to get two guys that are that size that can pass, shoot, floor it, cut, defend. That's the foundation of everything in the modern NBA. You have two top three picks in the NBA that are like 6'7 and 6'8 and can do that and you want to split it up? What the F is this conversation? 
And so now that those guys have gone to the finals and they're following it up this year with playing that style of basketball you're talking about, look, you have to have the evolution of guys like Williams start stepping up. And then you start, I mean, Marcus Smart is, is he's obviously a little dude, but he plays much bigger. And so you have to have those guys around him. But when you have bigs that can do what their bigs can do, and then you have two stud wings, that's the foundation for winning in the modern NBA. So that's a really tough team. And what it really shows you, and I think Maverick fans, definitely the Mavericks front office and staff know this, the Mavericks are far away from having an upper echelon team. They have a, an elite superstar that keeps them in the mix, but it definitely shows you where your roster needs to go and how, how far they are from getting where they want to be to be one of those top two or three teams consistently every night, no matchup issues. They can play anybody. Yeah. I mean, the Celtics regularly play lineups where like the fifth most skilled guy on the court is Derek white, which is just like, it's unbelievable, man. They got you still so have players. Derek white. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Derek White, Marcus Smart, Brogdon, like they got so Williams. many guys. Uh, and obviously it does help to have, uh, I think both Tatum and Brown went in the top three, top four in the yes. draft. Now just having those picks doesn't mean anything, but they nailed them, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, kudos to, uh, to the front office. Uh, I also think, Skin, that maybe the main problem in the locker room that you're talking about when they went to the Eastern Conference Finals is no longer on their team. I think maybe he plays for another team. Uh, you can fill in the blanks yourself. Right. Uh, now, you mentioned, um, you know, Mavs front office and the, the skill gap or, you know, the talent gap or whatever between the Mavs and the Celtics. And maybe even to a degree, I mean, you look at you look at the best records in the NBA. A lot of them are in the East. Um, you know, Milwaukee, Philly is out there. Of course, Cleveland is playing great, too. The Mavs have struggled against the Cavs in both those games this year. Maybe should have won the second one, but it is what it is. Um, right. Right. You know, those teams in the East have a ton of wins. The West is much more jam-packed. The Mavs have the best record against the Western Conference uh, of all Western Conference teams, which is pretty amazing. But they are, the last time I checked, significantly below 500 against the East. <laughs> and so I guess yeah. you'd rather be good against the West than the East, but you also want to be good against the good teams. And, you know, Boston has kind of handled them a couple times in a row. Now, last night, or on, you know, the last time they played, uh, no Dorian, no Josh, no Maxi. You talk about a team with a bunch of wings, a bunch of ball handling. You need to be on it on the perimeter. You have to be able to stay in front of them. You can't be getting broken down one on one. And that was happening too many times, you know, to, to Denwitty, to Hardaway, to Luca, obviously, you know, to pretty much everybody on the whole team. And so personnel, uh, you know, personnel aside, when at full health, the Mavs were already at a disadvantage based on all their injuries. But the reality of uh -huh. the situation is coming up Saturday night, New Orleans. Sunday night, Shea Gildas Alexander and Josh Giddy, you know, and then you're going to play LeBron, and then you're going to play Kawhi Leonard, and then you got two games against Damian Lillard, and all these games are on the road, with the exception of that Pelicans game. And so you're looking at this thinking like, okay, Jason Kidd said that maybe one or both of Dorian Finney-Smith or Josh Green could potentially possibly rejoin the Mavs at some point, maybe on this upcoming road trip. Like he was really, really hedging his bets with that statement. It ain't going to get any easier anytime soon, right? The Boston game yeah. was a, a, a literal turning of the page because now you're playing a bunch of winning teams with the exception of OKC, but that's on the second night of a back-to-back -back against a guy that has beaten you down for years. So what do you do? Like, do you just try and win 125 to 124 like they have been? Or is yeah. there a 
is there some sort of way to to salvage this? I mean, it's uh, you know, it's not like the Lakers or Clippers are playing great lately. It, you know, it, right. it's all it's not as impossible as it seems, but it is going to be very very difficult. Yeah. So uh, here's the way I look at those sorts of things. This is why, like, I'm not the guy going, yeah, but look at who they beat. Because the NBA season, your regular season, to me, is about two things. Number one, figuring out what your most effective lineups are for different styles of basketball. And then number two, surviving all the things that happen during the course of an NBA season. And so much of that is based on timing. Like, if you... When we ever, whenever you get to the playoffs, if you ask Hart, who's played in a jillion of these things, hey, you know, uh, hey, they were a three and one against this team in the regular season. The first thing he'll cut you off and like doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what happened during the regular season for the most part because that's a lot of that is about timing. And so whenever you go, hey man, uh, yeah, but look at these bad teams they beat. You're like. Yeah, man, but they were trying to build a defensive first culture, and in those games, they were missing three of their four best defensive players, and they won anyways. And how they had to win was by scoring a bunch of points, or in this case, Luca, go score half a hundred every night. So you have to survive those stretches and then you know figure out what your style of basketball is, what your best lineups are. Are you able to achieve the vision of the things that you want to do? I realize it's easy at home to go, I'm so mad that Christian Wood is not starting. Well, that's not happening out of spite. That's happening out of we're trying to achieve a certain style of basketball, and we're trying to get everyone to buy into that style, and we have to mold that style. And then while you're trying to mold that style, oh, crap, my vision was for Maxi Cleva to play alongside Christian Wood, and now that's not an option. So we're going to adjust what we have to adjust to make sure that we can survive the season while we're still trying to mold and build towards being the type of team that we want to be. You have a vision for what you, your style is, and then it's like, okay, do these players fit that style? And somewhere in there is that, uh, you know, give and take. Obviously, if you have a maxed out roster with like, hey, man, we built, we were terrible, then we built our team with three or four lottery picks over a five or six year period. If you've done it right, you've got the team you want, and then you don't have to worry about that stuff. If you aren't in that position, then it, it's not as simple as, hey, we're going to go play this style of basketball. The, the best example I can give, I think everyone knows this, Rick Carlisle got here and spent training camp trying to install the Princeton and then scrapped it because, like, this ain't going to work. I don't have the guys for this. So there's a, there's a constant, uh, you know, give and take with that as you're molding and building towards it. And there's frustrating moments during the season and, uh, you know, when you're losing, everyone wants to call the coaching staff stupid and say the team sucks. But there is an end game here. Can they they get to that? And so that's what a lot of this is about. So I don't sit there and I mean, I've seen enough basketball to not sit there and go ha, seven win win streak doesn't matter. Look at the teams, dude, winning seven games is winning seven games. And that that will in some ways mitigate. Wait, we really lost to Orlando when they didn't have Mancaro or, you know, there's a lot of things that happened throughout the course of the season and it has to balance out. If the Mavericks are going to go far in the playoffs, they have to have Dorian. The, the, the degree to which Josh Green was improving, he matters a great deal. And by the way, I was watching Jared Greenberg said on the broadcast last night they expect to get Maxi Kleba back after the All-Star break. Yeah, Damaris said that the other day too, which is, I mean, that is very that's, surprising. <laughs> that's really that's surprising. very surprising and very, very encouraging. 
because then you start looking at things a little bit differently. So I just think that, uh, you know, last night sucked uh, as a, as a fan and, you know, analyzing that it sucked in every way. Uh, but in, it doesn't diminish winning seven games without three of your most important rotation players. And so this is a tough stretch, but they got lucky. Zion ain't playing on Saturday. Right. And the only guy we really have to throw at Zion is Maxi. quite honestly. I mean, Dwight will give it his best. You don't think Luca could stay in front of Zion? I feel like he's got the he's got the sturdy build. You know, I feel like that for a guy that's got to tote the note for about 80 percent of our offense. I feel like that is the worst use of Luca. <laughs> it would be entertaining. I'd watch them play one on one. I think it'd be really fun uh, during these last eight games. By the way, the Mavs have a 118.7 offensive rating. Very good. And yep. a 117.3 defensive rating. Ooh. Against, against some bad offenses. Yeah. And for the season, right. they're number eight on offense, number 20 on defense. And, Skin, you and I both know that is not how they want to play. Uh, no. Coming up in the next segment, I want to talk about the, the win streak and Luka and all that stuff. But closing out here, can you just very quickly rehash why Rick Carlisle wanted to play a Princeton offense in 2008? Like, what, what, why? Yeah because of what the Mavericks were coming off of, which was the most stagnant offense out there. It was an isolation heavy offense because you had Dirk and it was built around Dirk, but Dirk needed help. And so what happened is, is our offense consisted of uh, hold, hold, hold. Okay. Oh, Jerry Stackhouse is going to shoot with three seconds left on the shot clock and a hand in his face. There wasn't enough. Sounds familiar. <laughs> there wasn't enough movement or motion. Uh, and so at that era in the NBA, it was that's why Rick was brought in. He was an offensive mastermind. We need movement. We need motion. We need the ball to hop. Well, Princeton does that, not with that team. Yeah, but he changed, and you can too. More numbers on the boards after this. Welcome back to Numbers on the Boards. Studio 41 Radio, 97.1 The Freak, Mavs, YouTube, ETC, 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 ETC. I'm Bobby. He's Skin. And Skin, uh, if you're watching on YouTube, Skin, it looks like you went through a little growth spurt during the break, man. That was very impressive. Yeah, you know, grew a little bit. Uh, it's kind of what I do. I just constantly evolve. Yeah. Yeah, uh, dude, absolutely. See, Rick Carlisle did it. You've done it. Jason Kidd has done it. Yes. Luca's done it. We've all done it. And Luca's evolution, uh, this is kind of a, a weird thing to talk about. But obviously, if you watch the Mavs for long enough, you know, Against the good teams, with the exception of the Boston Celtics, the Mavs usually play very well. And against the teams that aren't as good, the Mavs sometimes follow suit. Now, they recently won seven games against teams that are very down bad, uh, with the exception of the Knicks, who are good, but that night, no Jalen, no R.J. Barrett. And so they had every reason to win those games. But, right. again, the last few years you play the magic on a Wednesday night, like you're kind of white knuckling the whole game because you're like, I, they're probably going to lose this game. You know, Luca might uh, go seven for 22. Like it just might not uh, pan out. They might go 10 of 56 from the free, uh, three point line or whatever it was against Houston. But that wasn't the case. Luca stepped his game up. The Mavs stepped their game up on defense. You know, Christian Wood blocked a million shots and they won seven games in a row. And so I feel like, you know, this is the ultimate Homer take. Uh, or it might seem like the ultimate homer take, but I genuinely believe that this seven-game run where Luka just routinely pulverized all these bad and or undermanned teams, I feel like that does kind of represent uh, a nice step in his development, right? Uh, he's going to play, I'm better than you, can you stop me with the worst teams in the league? 
The obvious answer is no, and he proved it time and time again. And I thought that that was very, you know, obviously much needed because you need to win the games, but also very important just like in his growth as a take every opponent seriously, basically for lack of a better term, uh, kind of development. Yeah, there was a real interesting observation in the middle of the season last year. I can't remember the exact game, but Harp was – Luca had just done a playground play, and it was, you know, pure razzle-dazzle. And Harp had kind of mentioned – and I and it was an inferior team. I'm sorry that I can't remember the game. But Harp had mentioned Luca needs that to keep him engaged. And I just thought that that was such an interesting observation – this idea, you know how like all this commentary is, man, Luca just makes the game look so easy. And it's like, well, it's not that he's making it look easy. Sometimes it's easy for him. And I, you don't want to just say that these are badass grown men that he's going up against, but he has certain not only abilities, but physical attributes that make it to where the other dude simply can't do anything to stop him. And so uh, especially when you go up against undermanned teams or lesser talent teams, you know, if you're a super competitive guy, you know, it's, it's like this, it's almost like uh, the gambler that has to have the action. He needs the juice. you got to have that juice. And so I, I just thought that was the kind of insight that you get from someone that's been in that sort of competition that can understand that mentality. And that's cool. I get it. Those are things that are personality related but there's also this mindset of doesn't matter who you're playing, go punish them, go, go take them out. And it's just a different type of instinct that I think you have to develop as well through experience. And so you go out there uh, and toy with your food and get burned that many times. You got to learn not to toy with your food. And I, I, I talked about this. I've talked about this on Mavs live uh, you know, I've tweeted this out and it, I definitely in the first two weeks of the season, there's some times where the Mavs are just super cash. I mean, hey, it's cool, man. It's, we got this, you know, I think the, the best example of that is the Phoenix game and Luca is amazing and we're so lucky to have him, but I do think that attitude of being super cash, I think that starts at the top. And I think if Luke is out there playing with his food, why aren't the other guys going to go play with their food? That's human nature. And so as he develops as a player, you know, messing around. Uh, the, the best example I can give you is the Phoenix game, the, the season opener. They went out there and they pounded him. Like, it's Phoenix. We have this hatred for him. They're supposed to be good. We pounded him. And then we let him back in the game. And then we pounded him again. And then we got super cash and they beat us. And so it's like, if you never relax until they are in the ground, then those frustrating losses don't happen. And you don't sit there and go, I mean, dude, honestly and truly, if they had just played up to their ability early in the season, not even being impacted by injuries and stuff like that, they would have the best record in the West. You go back and you look at games where you you shot 60% from the free throw line. What? What? But I mean, though you go back and just, there was, I mean, there's been five or six games like that, that were straight up wins that you gave away. Now go look at the standings. And so that I know it's a long season and you got to go through all this stuff. And, but there's also a bigger picture of learning that within the framework of what Luca is, 
because the 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 if as long as he's here and he's in his twenties and he's playing the type of basketball that he can play, obviously get the right guys around him. You're in the championship mix for a long time. Yeah, I mean, there have been a lot of missed opportunities this season and in seasons past too. You know, they've they've left a lot of meat on the bone. Now most teams yeah. do, but I guess it's really a matter of how you respond, right? Like, are you going to let that define you? Are you going to let the Phoenix loss and the New Orleans loss and all these losses from a couple months ago define the whole season? Are you going to be kicking yourself because of those games in a few months? Now, last season, the Mavs go 36-12 and 12 over a 48-game stretch. Suddenly, we didn't really care about all those losses they, they had in November because they ended up fourth, and it was great. But that and, – and talking about this kind of stuff is like – you're, we're projecting a lot of our own feelings onto these people. Uh, you know, you know Luca very well. I don't know Luca very well. You know, we. I mean, I guess you know Luca very well. You've talked to him a few times after basketball games, but like, uh, I don't know how many times y'all have eaten together or anything like that. But he's eating. He's in my kitchen right now having breakfast. Oh, that's nice. That's so wholesome, yeah. dude. That's great. Yeah. Um, but to me, that's what made the stretch super just significant I feel like is because you know it, it's not like it was some triumph or romp or anything I mean they were down 18 against the Rockets it took a once in a lifetime comeback to beat the Knicks but you know it felt like a situation where Luca was like okay deck is stacked against me all my like ride or dies are out Dorian Finney-Smith is like Luca's guy you know right. he's not out there uh you know Quentin Grimes is just kicking your ass what are you gonna do you know uh and, right. and it felt like sort of this like this one person galvanizing the whole group and saying, like, I'm not going to let us lose. I'm going to do stuff that no one has ever done before. I'll go get 60 points and 20 rebounds. I'll score 50 points three times in five games. I'll score whatever. He had 29 in the second half against the Rockets in that comeback the other night. Like, he will push himself to the limits. You know, he'll become Neo from the Matrix. He'll, he'll become a, an, an alien, a freak, to help them barely scrape by these bad teams. Now, that doesn't mask the fact that it did take that Herculean effort for them to win. Uh, that doesn't mean that it's like, oh, okay, we won. You know, that doesn't mean that the results matter way more than the process or anything. There's still a lot of these flaws. Many of them were evident against the Celtics. Um, but the simple fact that Luka just did go to that place against those teams. Like, frankly, it wouldn't surprise me if he scored 50 against Steph. It wouldn't surprise me if he scored 60 against LeBron. I'd just be like, okay, this is what he does. But he scored 60 against Quentin Grimes. He scored 50 <laughs> against, uh, you know, pick your player from the Spurs, like Doug McDermott. Right. You know, like he went there against guys that normally he, he doesn't go there against. Yeah, you know? And, and no. that, that simple fact to me is just really, really, really cool. And that they won all those games is, is pretty nice too. But I'm talking just more about his production, his intensity, um, his like – I'm not going to let us lose Ness. Yeah. And that's something too. I mean, like he's ultra competitive. We know that. Uh, and there's, there's a lot of great stories to support all that. Um, and I think also like he's got the kind of personality where, I mean, I think he takes it personally as embarrassed when negative things are said about the Mavs. I mean, I, I believe that and uh, you know, know some stories about that sort of thing. And so that's that whole idea of like you're you're saying, you know, it's it's not about stats. It's not about I mean, dude, he loves having great stats, but that's not what those numbers are about. That's about ensuring that they do not lose. And he had to do that in a lot of those situations. 
because as we talked about at the beginning of uh you know of numbers on the boards the Mavericks don't have enough firepower yet to be one of the best teams in the league and they're down several people in their rotation that are crucial to what the identity of what they want their team to be so doesn't matter who the, the opponent is he had to ratchet it up and he did and it wasn't nationally televised games and it wasn't except for obviously right the the Lakers game and it, and it it was it was just different it was like like you said things that we hadn't seen before it was going to that place out of necessity as opposed to here's where the sizzle is and and everyone's watching right now yeah i mean gohan became super saiyan 2 to beat cell right like it happened <laughs> it had to happen then otherwise the planet was destroyed you know yeah and then we're not talking we're then we're talking about this season very differently without a seven win i mean even if they go you know, four and three or five and two during that stretch, we're, we're thinking and talking about this thing differently because other things become more difficult. Uh, I don't, it doesn't matter what sport it is. Winning seven straight at the professional level is awesome. Even if it's, you know, the two worst teams in the league over and over and over, because you, it, it shows you have to gear up every night. You have to do it. There's travel involved. There's things that are going on. Uh, and, and like we said, they're missing guys. They're having, having to change the way they play. They have to adapt. But one thing that is a constant, no matter what they are doing in that game, uh, and, and one of the things that they've had to adapt the most is obviously how they approach defensively um, over that stretch. But going out and winning those games has been critical to the overall picture of what this season is ultimately going to be. Yeah, now, you know, playing seven straight playoff teams – definitely test you and we're about to basically see the Mavs do that and uh right. they did not pass the test in game one but playing seven straight lottery teams again the Knicks were in there but they were severely uh shorthanded that right. tests your focus that tests your patience that tests your intensity you know it's a different kind of test everything is hard like every player in the NBA will still humiliate you and me you know so like if you don't Dude, show up then Houston will beat you by 20 and they almost did Think about all the glowing praise we gave the Celtics, even though they're not playing great right now, that we gave their team. Dude, they gave up 150 to Oklahoma City. Dude. They had, it was like 122 at the end of the third quarter. Uh, that shouldn't happen, Boston Celtics. So, uh, again, it's 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 this is part of that evolution of this team. They had to go do that, and they weren't going to do it if Luka didn't roll out that epic two-week stretch that he just rolled out. Yeah, now I want to go back to the last time you and I talked. It was like maybe three weeks ago-ish, give or take. And uh, we talked about two things. Now you are like a a manifester. Uh, You speak things into existence because you said that the number one guy, that if he becomes consistent or productive or consistently productive, maybe even both, that could turn this thing around, uh, would be Tim Hardaway Jr. And uh, he has been... You know, he, I don't think he shot the ball well against Boston. Really, nobody did. Right. But for the most part, he's been shooting it pretty well. And the Mavs have been winning a lot of games. So first off, shout out to you. Well done. GG, GGWP. Um, but the other thing we talked about was Wood and the rotation and, like, can he and Luca play together a lot? And, I mean, you mm-hmm. and I were both uh, pretty skeptical about it because the offense is obvious you know they're the number one most efficient pick and roll duo in the nba and we both acknowledge that yeah that is <laughs> it's gonna happen you know you put luca first off on the floor luca and dwight powell are number three in the nba 
if you put Luca on the floor with pretty much anybody, it's going to be awesome. But Wood right. is uniquely talented in the way guys like KP or you know these other combo stretch bigs are uh, inside, outside, and, and the whole bit. But the reason that we were sort of like yeah, about Wood at the five is defense. Mm-hmm. And now you know Boston uh, pretty much you know, uh, found the cheat codes to the Mavs defense last night or, you know, move the ball. Yeah. Yeah. Just pass drive and pass. Pass Uh, it's pretty easy, but, um, you know, these other teams necessarily couldn't now, you know, we'll see again, new Orleans, top 10 offense, the Clippers obviously are incredible and they can do a lot of the things that whenever they're humming, they can do a lot of things that the Celtics can. And so we'll see, you know, if, if the Luca wood thing is, is viable, you know, long-term or whatever, uh, against these these better teams, but so far, what have your impressions been of what at the five? Is your opinion about that changed? Uh, do you think that he's your five man? Do you think that he is the starting five man? Like, what do you think he is? That's a great question because I'm not sure. I don't think he's a starting five in the NBA for a championship team, um, unless like he's. And he's not going to be because the Mavericks also have Luke. I was going to say, unless he's surrounded by four just elite defenders. And and I think that's part of like, you know, the whole process of getting Luca to buy in more on defense is that if he's just going to be offensive minded, then he needs to be surrounded by four defensive studs. And um, and then but also, right, those defensive studs can only be defensive players. And we kind of come full circle to where like Hey man, Luca's going to get some guys wide open shots. If they make them, you'll be really good on offense. If you make wide open shots, which is the goal of any NBA offense, can I get some wide open shots? And so when they hit a wide open shots, guess what? Everything's different. Your point, your offensive rating changes, blah, blah, blah. Your point differential changes, blah, blah, blah. But it can't just all be offense. We know that when you get to the playoffs, I think Woods uh, length is an asset for him. And we saw that in his block shot numbers. And I think he was, competitive and uh, feisty on the ball, which was good. I I mean, if you go back and look at some of his blocks, there was a lot of them that were actually on the man with the ball. A lot of times blocks come from uh, rotation and help defense, right? Yeah, some of those were like like old school blocks. Yes. Like post-ups and stuff like that. Yes, which is, you know, that's a more rare block. And so uh, that shows, let's just say, a defensive competitiveness, which is excellent, which he needs. uh, you know, he he's because he's thinner, he can get bodied. And when you get bodied, you can get out of position. I think also usually not always, but usually when you rack up a lot of fouls, you rack up a lot of fouls for two reasons. One, you're uh, you're late on your rotations. Right. And when you're late on ro- your rotations, you're out of position. And when you're out of position, you commit a foul. And sometimes it's like they're going at you and you simply can't contain the guy. But I think, you know, during this stretch and really during the season, you know, there's been a lot of times where Wood is frustratingly in foul trouble, right? Uh, And so that's another thing is can you play defense without uh, committing fouls? And a lot of times that has to do with being in the right position, rotating on time and things like that. I think what we've seen during the stretch is how immensely talented he is and why he's such a key part to this team. I personally loved the idea of him coming off of the bench uh, because I just don't think there's a lot of dudes coming off the bench at that position that can hold him. Like when you start talking about areas where you can have a higher point differential to me, having Christian Wood come off the bench 
get put you in a really great position to win those stretches. And then obviously he's still going to be playing with Luca when he checks into the game. And then the way the fourth quarter rolls out out of necessity, that's not an option uh, for whatever those reasons are that JaVale McGee can't help you. Uh, you know, it's, you look at that and go, okay, that was a big offseason acquisition as of this point in the season, that's a huge miss for this team. And so kudos to Wood to stepping up and filling that role. Kudos to Dwight Powell for being relegated to the bench at the start of the season. And then when they went to him, he delivered. Um, so uh, we're talking two things. Big picture, I don't think Christian Wood is the starting center for the championship Maverick team. I think he's a part of the team. I think he's more inclined to be like, a four type or a a five off the bench on a championship team. Um, But that's not where the Mavericks are right now. They've asked him to do this and he stepped up and done it. And I just think it goes to show you that he's an important part of, of what this team is. But I, when I watch him play, I don't go like, dude, just watch him play versus watch Robert Williams play or watch Al Horford play. And I think, you know, that kind of an indication that's not a knock on him. I think he has some amazing attributes that help you win games uh, and I want him to be a part of this thing. But during this stretch, I haven't looked at this and gone, yes, that is an anchor center uh, in the NBA to hold it down for a championship run. Yeah, and that isn't, like you said, that isn't to say that he hasn't been good. He's been excellent. He's given him so much, like on offense, right. the same stuff he's given all year. But on defense, he has stepped up. On the glass, he stepped up a little bit. Um, the team collectively needs to step up a little more because they are they are usually the smaller team. That wasn't yeah. necessarily the case. At the beginning of the year, they were usually the bigger team, but now a bunch of your bigger guys are out, uh, and mm-hmm. a lot of your most athletic guys are out. Uh, the one more thing that I'll say about Wood, first 24 games of the year this season, uh, 25 and a half minutes per game, three fouls per game. Okay, so three fouls in 25 minutes. In the 12 games since, the same three fouls, but in 32 minutes. So mm-hmm. turning down the fouls a little bit, which saves points, saves free throws, saves and ones, and most importantly, keeps you on the floor. There have been yeah, games but, during that stretch where he was in foul trouble, but for the most part, he's he's kept it under control much better. Yeah, and one of those things that's critical too, though, is like, when do you get those fouls? Because if you get two or three quick early fouls, it takes you out of the game. And then you have to like work your way back into the game. I think, was it the Houston game where he had foul trouble the first half and then came back in the second half and was excellent? Yep. I say the Houston game. There was like several Houston games. Well, yeah, he but had four he, in each of the last two. So <laughs> yeah. both. And and they were early fouls. And then I think to his credit, he came back into the game and got re-engaged in those things. So that 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 stuff matters. Yeah. And is still contesting shots mm-hmm. without fouling too. When in foul trouble, a lot of guys will just be like, ah, you know, yeah. not trying to do anything. Okay, we got one minute on the clock left, skin. Yeah. Two weeks from now. What will happen that the Mavs will be happy about two weeks from now? What will have happened that the Mavs might be really sad about? Uh, I think there's going to be a blown opportunity or two against a really good team that's going to be frustrating in the next couple weeks. But I think we're going to be really happy that Josh Green is back and hopefully Dorian Finney-Smith is back and it feels like, all right, we don't have to white knuckle everything. We can get back to, we have these important parts of our rotation back and fortifying the unit. What do you think? I agree. I just need, we need those guys back. You and I need those guys back. We just need (laughs) them back. We need, I need to see them on the floor man. get back on the floor. Let's get healthy. Let's ride. You know, let's go down the home stretch here. All right, skin. I appreciate you, man. I hope you have a fantastic rest of your day, but don't go anywhere. If you listen on 97, one, the freak, because coming up next, 
Give me the corner three with me, Kati, and Isaac. Skin, goodbye. This is Numbers on the Boards. We'll see you later.